that stood among the middle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast indignation these threescore and ten years? And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good works, good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the book of Zechariah. Pray that, Lord, as we have a look into this first chapter today, that you would just bless our hearts and you would encourage us by your word. Give me wisdom, I pray, from on high. May your word speak to us tonight. May the Spirit of God indeed minister to our hearts' needs through your word. And may we be blessed through the word of God this evening. As we study together, we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, it's been a long while since I've been in Zechariah. Uh, in fact, it's um, uh, quite a few months. Actually, I was back in the Minor Prophets. But, uh, uh, so you probably don't remember much about the first ten verses of this uh, chapter, but that doesn't really matter because what we're going to say tonight kind of fits all that together for us and we get a, a, bit, a bit of a picture about what's going on. But, you know, Zechariah was a young man, according to Zechariah 2.4, which says, Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me to measure Jerusalem, uh, to see what... Uh, that's the wrong verse. That's verse 2. Verse 4. And he said unto me, Run, speak to the young men, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and the cattle therein. So Zechariah was a young man when God called him to minister to struggling... Uh, the struggling Jewish remnant who were trying to rebuild the temple back on the land in that ruined city of Jerusalem. The elder prophet, Haggai, uh, which was a contemporary of Zechariah, had delivered two messages to the nation of Israel before Zechariah joins him in the ministry. And these two men, Zechariah and Haggai, served the Lord together for a short time. Haggai, if you remember uh, from pastors preaching, Haggai, had gotten the building program going again after a 16-year hiatus in the, in the building of the uh, temple there in Jerusalem. In fact, remember, under Zerubbabel, they'd gone back to rebuild the temple. The work had stopped. 16 years passed. Haggai comes on the scene and challenges the people about building uh, the temple, rebuilding the temple, and they get back to work. And it's at this time that Zechariah comes on the scene to come alongside Haggai to encourage the people to continue the work and to finish the work. And God gave to this young man, young Zechariah, good and comforting words, according to verse uh, 13. It says, And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. And these words were given to assure the people that despite the hard times, God was with them 
and that God would see them through. God had not forgotten his people. The prophet Zechariah receives a number of visions with regard to the nation of Israel, starting with the first vision here in chapter 1, which is the vision of the horses and the man among the myrtle trees, which is verses 1 through 9. And after being given the vision, the prophet then asks a question in verse 9. He asks this question. Then said I, that's Zechariah, O my Lord, what are these? He says, what are these? What are these horses amongst the myrtle trees? Who are they? To which the Lord gives the answer in verse 9, when he says, And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. The prophet wants to know what these horses amongst the myrtle trees, uh, what this man amongst the myrtle trees is, and what these horses are that he sees. Back in verse 8, he saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were at the bottom, and behind him were the red horses, speckled and white. So he wants to know what's going on. He wants to know what's the interpretation of this vision that he's having of this man amongst the myrtle trees with these other horses there amongst the myrtle trees. And the man among the myrtle trees, Jesus himself, that's the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ, the Old Testament, Jesus himself explains to Zechariah that these riders are none other than messengers of the Lord who have been sent to survey the world to discover the condition of the world. And they've now reported back what they have found. And so tonight, as we come to Zechariah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17, we find the answer to the prophet's question. Verse 10 says, And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And so firstly tonight, we see the angelic host gave their report in verses 11 and 12. And the angels answer, uh, sorry, they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? The angelic hosts explained to Christ the condition that they found when they did their survey of the world. And what they find is that they find that all the nations lived in undisturbed peace and prosperity. Now consider, after all the upheaval of what's happened over the last 70 years of uh, uh, Israel's history, they've been in captivity. Prior to that, they'd been upheaval in the world. Okay? We know the story the, the, of, of all the things that were going on. I mean, after all the upheaval of all the empires the, and the Persian conquests of Babylon and other nations, it would seem to be an encouraging word to come to say that the world is in peace and prosperi prosperity. But it really wasn't. Because see, the entire world was at rest except for Israel. Jerusalem was still in ruins. Jerusalem was not at rest. The, the invading armies that uh, surrounded Jerusalem were still pestering the nation of Israel. The people who returned to rebuild the city, had not, uh, to rebuild the temple, have not been left alone. When Nehemiah returns to build the walls, he's not even left alone. 
So while the world is at rest, the wars of the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians have ended, Israel, Jerusalem, is still in turmoil. The Jewish remnant was still in distress, while the Gentiles were at ease. Look at verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will that not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these three score and ten years? How long will you allow Jerusalem and the cities around Jerusalem to continue to be oppressed as you've allowed them to be for the last 70 years? How long is that going to happen? The Jewish remnant, as I said, was still in distress. The Gentiles might have peace, but not the Jews. Now, Haggai had promised that the Lord would shake the nations and redeem his people. Let's go back to Haggai, chapter 2, please. Haggai, chapter 2, and verse 6. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desirable nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. In this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Then drop down to verse 20. And again the word of the Lord came unto Agai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak unto Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the, heaven, of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatil, saith the Lord, and will make thee a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. This was the promise that God had made to Haggai that the day was coming where the nations would be uh, dealt with and Jerusalem would be rebuilt and that God would once again dwell in the temple there in Jerusalem. But that important event has not happened yet. As Zechariah writes, that has not happened. The kingdom promised by the prophet seemed to be a dream that would never come true. One commentator put it this way, a remnant had returned, but they were ground down under the yoke of the Gentiles while Judah lay waste and Jerusalem was without its walls. The nations were at ease, but Jerusalem was in turmoil. They felt like the Lord had forgotten them. And Zechariah is writing under inspiration of the Lord, to assure them that God has not forgotten them. You know, we too can feel like that, can we? You know, Christ has promised to return, but he hasn't yet. It hasn't happened. And you know, you and I can look at our world and we can get a little bit discouraged in the fact that he hasn't returned yet. I mean, the wicked get, keep getting even more wicked. And righteousness seems to be short supply. I mean, I don't know if you've been watching the news lately or listening to the news or uh, reading the paper, but, you know, things are pretty bad in our world today. Wickedness is increasing. Righteousness is in short supply. In fact, 
Generally speaking, righteousness is mocked at. And in the midst of all this unrighteousness, we can be tempted to feel like God has forgotten us. Or at least has forgotten his promise. And we're wondering if he's ever going to return. But you know, the truth is he hasn't forgotten. There's a wonderful promise in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 where the Lord says this. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men can slackness, but is long-suffering to us, Lord, not willing that any should perish, but should all should come to repentance. You know, the Lord is tarrying because there's still people to be saved. When the last soul is saved, that is going to be saved in this church age, then the rapture will happen. But while ever you and I have a breath to breathe, while ever you and I live and walk on this earth, and the rapture's not yet happened, there are still some souls that God wants to save. And he's not forgotten his promise. And he's not forgotten us. He will keep his promises. And we must remember that the Lord is extremely interested in the affairs of men. And even today, he's interested as well as going on he's interested in what we're doing he's interesting in in what the work going on in the world god is not a, a disinterested bystander watching this world god is the sovereign ruler of the universe who is actively involved in the events of this world and you know you remember that god cares god is interested god has not forgotten there's no more than he forgot israel god's not forgotten us and God remembers us, and God remembers what his promises are. God has not forgotten us, and God has not forgotten his people. And we know this, for a remarkable thing happens in verse 12. In response to the angelic report, the Son of God intercedes for the people. In verse 12, that's what it says, Then the angel of the Lord, that's the Son of God, the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast indignation these three score and ten years? The Son of God cries out, How long? The people were crying out, wondering if God was ever going to keep his promise of restoring the kingdom unto Israel. Was Jerusalem ever going to be built? Was the temple ever going to be finished? Was God going to ever bring peace to Israel? And Christ, in response to their request, cries out, How long? The angel of the Lord acts as an advocate, acts as an intercessor on behalf of Israel. It's a wonderful truth. For centuries, how long has been the cry of suffering people, especially the people of Israel? Go back to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1, please. And verse 2. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and wilt thou not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and will not save. This has been the cry of God's people throughout the ages. How long they cry. How long is even the cry of the martyred saints in heaven? Go to Revelation chapter 6, please. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10. 
This is the martyred saints, and they cry with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? How long? How long, Lord, will it be before you restore unto Israel that which you promised? How long, the martyred saints of Revelation say, will it be before you vindicate your name? And you and I could ask the same question today. How long, Lord, will you tarry? How long will you allow unrighteousness to reign? How long will you allow wickedness to have its way? How long, Lord, till you return? It's the cry of the ages. And the fact that the Son of God should identify himself with the cries of his people here in Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 12 reveals his compassion, his concern for his people. He speaks the very same words that the nation asked in Habakkuk, how long? Christ now himself says to the Father, how long? The fact that Christ would express the very desire of the heart of the people to God the Father shows to you and I his compassion, his concern for his people. Isaiah 63, 9 says about Christ, in all their affliction he was afflicted. You see, he knew what they were going through. He understood what they were going through and he asked the question, how long? You know, when our situation appears to be hopeless, when you and I are in situations that seem so difficult and so stressful, when you and I seem like there's just no answer in sight, then you and I remind ourselves that Christ has identified himself not only with their suffering but with ours. Go to Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 4. You know, it's wonderful that he identifies with the nation of Israel and asks the question, how long? But even more wonderful is the promise he gives to us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. We read this. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It's wonderful, isn't it, you know? We, when you and I are in the midst of difficulty, when, when all hope seems to be gone, when it seems like there is a, the, the, end of the end of the tunnel is so dark we can't see our way through, the storm is raging and there seems to be no answer, you and I can know this, that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. With Israel, he said, with them and their passion, how long? With you and I as born-again believers, he says, I understand. I've been touched with the feeling of your infirmities. You know, the songwriter asks, does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for myrrh and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. And then he answered in the chorus, Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. That's Hebrews 4, 15, 16. He cares. His attitude of comfort his attitude of concern that he reveals in Zechariah chapter 2, he also demonstrates to you and I 
in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. You know, when the valley is dark, let's remember Hebrews 7.25, where we're told that he intercedes for us. When the valley is dark, let us remember 1 John 2.1, where we're told we have an advocate for the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And when the valley seems dark, let's remember Hebrews 4.15 and 16, where we're told he is touched with a feeling of our infirmities. What a wonderful Savior we have, don't we? He intercedes before the throne of grace on our behalf. When you and I are going through difficult times, he advocates on our behalf because he's been touched with a feeling of our infirmities. He knows our frame. He knows what we're going through. And he goes before the Father and he intercedes on our behalf. Oh, what a wonderful Savior is Jesus, our Lord. After the angelic host gave their report, and Christ intercedes for Israel, the Lord gave his response. So you have the angels, the angelic host speaking, saying that everything's fine on the earth. You then have Christ speaking to the Father, saying, How long? Now we have the response of the Father to the Son in verses 13 to 17. In verse 13 we read, <coughs> excuse me, And the Lord answered, The angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. He gave comforting words to the angel to give to the prophet to give to the people. The Lord declares good and comfortable words. The word good is precious or sweet words. The word comfortable is comforting. So these sweet, comforting words are given to the prophet to give to the people in the form of three I am's. And I can't think of anything more wonderful than when God responds to his son who is echoing the voice of the people, how long, Lord? He responds by saying, I am. He says, first of all, I am jealous for Jerusalem. Verse 14. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. I am jealous with a great jealousy. <laughs> In other words, he says, I am very jealous of Jerusalem and Zion. I am exceedingly jealous. If you want to know the heart of God the Father to the nation of Israel, here it is. I am jealous, I am exceedingly jealous of my people. This is a past action which continues in the present. So even though it did not seem so, the Lord was jealous and the Lord continues to be jealous for his people. And the whole point of this jealousy is jealousy invokes action. Because he is jealous, it causes God to respond. Because you see, jealousy is a burning, fiery passion. When you and I get jealous of something... It stirs within us a passion, doesn't it? And God is likewise jealous of his own people. Somebody put it this way about jealousy. Men are jealous if that which is their own and dear to them falls into the hands of another. 
is in danger of being taken away from them or abused. And that's this idea of this word jealousy. You know, you and I get jealous for all sorts of reasons, but this is a good jealousy. This is bad jealousy. You know, I can be jealous of somebody because he's got a brand new car and I haven't. That's not a good jealousy, okay? But, you know, if, if my children are about to be abused and I'm then stirred with emotion within me, that's a good jealousy. I'm jealous for my children. I want to protect them. That's the idea here. This is what God was jealous of his people. He was jealous of his own abused people for Jerusalem. For 70 years they've been in captivity. They've been under the the hand of the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians. Things have been tough for them. The people left in Jerusalem, the remnant in Jerusalem, have been under constant attack from the nations around about them. And the people were feeling like they were neglected. They were feeling like God had forgotten them. And so Christ cries out, how long? And God the Father responds. He says, you need to know I am jealous for my people. With a great jealous, I am really, really jealous of them. I am upset that they've been abused. God was conscious of the desolation of the land. He was conscious of what had happened throughout those years. He had not forgotten them. God God was well aware of what had happened during the 70 years of captivity. And even today, he is exceedingly jealous of his people. He's fully aware of the increasing worldwide opposition of the Jews. You know, today, if you listen to the news today, there's not too many people who like the Jews. I heard the other day that there's something in the last 12 months, last year, 2018, there was something like... 50 UN resolutions against Israel and four against the rest of the world. 50 against the Jews, four against the rest of the world. Now, you can't tell me that the Jews are that much more worse than the rest of the world. And God cares for his people. Let's not forget that. They may be in unbelief. They're still the apple of his eye. They are his people. They're in unbelief. They've rejected their Messiah and they've turned their back upon God. But that doesn't mean God has forgotten his people. He still loves them. He cares for them. And he demonstrates that here. He says, I'm jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. I am exceedingly jealous of my people. And one day, God will arise and take vengeance on their foes. There is a day coming called the tribulation. And when the tribulation arrives, it's the 70th week of Daniel, and God is going to pour out his vengeance upon the world and upon those who have rejected him and rejected his people. God is going to exact his wrath upon the world like the world has never known before. Because God is jealous of his people. And you know, this reminds us that when it doesn't seem as if the Lord cares for us, he continues to care and watch over us day by day. God does jealously love his people. And that includes you and I, folks. 
Those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, He's our Father. And like a father who's jealous for the protection of his children, God the Father is jealous to protect you and I. And even though at times it may seem like you and I are alone, we are not forgotten because he loves us. The second I am is I am very sore displeased with the heathen in verse 15. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward my affliction. His jealousy now is contrasted with his anger at the nations. Now to the nation of Israel, it seemed like God was angry with them and not angry with the nations. I mean, after all, the world was at peace. Isn't that what the, the angels have come back and told the angel of the Lord told Christ himself that the world is at peace. It seemed like God was angry with Israel and not angry with the unsaved nations, and yet the unsaved nations were far more wicked than Jerusalem ever was. And yet they had suffered the hands of the wicked Babylonians and the wicked Medo-Persians. So his jealousy here is contrasted with his anger at the nations. Because of his displeasure with Jerusalem, the Lord had for a little while allowed the heathen to conquer and overthrow them. I mean, that was true. God had warned Israel throughout their history that if they obeyed him, he would bless them. If they disobeyed him, he would judge them. And it went on after century after century after century they continued to defy their God till finally God said enough is enough and you're going to spend 70 years in captivity to pay for all those uh, years of jubilee that you've not honored, that you've not kept. You're going to spend 70 years in captivity in payment for that that you might learn not to reject me. And God allowed the heathen nations to judge his people because judgment has to start with the household of God. That's a New Testament truth. But the problem was, even though the nations have been allowed of God to judge them, these nations are giving vent to their wrath upon Jerusalem had gone beyond that which the heart of God wanted them to do. Look in verse 15. I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased. I was upset with you, and they have helped forward the affliction. They've gone beyond. One commentator put, the, put it like this to illustrate this for us, and I thought it was a great illustration. It says, it's as if while the father was chastening his child with a stick, a stranger has come and started to strike him with a rod of iron. That's the imagery here. God the Father is disciplining his children and while he's disciplining his children, a stranger has come along, the heathen nations, and start to wail upon that child. What's the father going to do? No matter how much you think your child deserves discipline, no stranger is ever going to join in that discipline. Particularly if the discipline the stranger is bringing is a whole lot worse than the discipline you were giving. That's the imagery here. God was disciplining his people, that's true, but the nations were beating them with an iron rod. No wonder the father's jealousy stirred. 
The nations that helped Sisi forward, notice what it says in verse 15, they helped forward the affliction. The word forward is advance. They helped advance Israel's affliction. God scattered Israel, but the nations that oppressed them. So God is sore displeased with the nations. Well, let's remember, we may be hated by the world, but the Lord loves us. No matter how much you and I might be oppressed, no matter how much you and I might feel like we're fishes out of water in this wicked world in which we live, no matter how much you and I might feel like we're alone at times, and it seems that the longer the Lord tarries, the more alone we are feeling, we're becoming you know, the really more and more the oddballs compared to what the world is like. You and I need to remember that God still loves us. We need to remember he is displeased with the world. We need not to think that God's uh, inaction in disciplining the world is God's approval of the world's behavior. God's inaction is simply because he's not willing that any should perish, but also come to repentance. Never forget that. God's inaction does not mean that God approves of their behavior. God's inaction is simply because his love wants souls to be saved. And you not only remember he is displeased with the world and their wickedness, and he will deliver us. There's a promise in Romans 12, 19, which says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The day is coming, folks, when God will avenge his people. The Jews and his bride, the church. There's a day coming whereby this world will know that God is on the throne and they will know that enough is enough and the wrath of God is going to pour out upon the world and they're going to know that there is a God in heaven and that every born-again believer who have ever walked the planet was right and they were wrong to reject their God. <coughs> that day is coming. And we need to remember that. Because God will take care of his children. And will one day justify his name in this wicked world. And then thirdly, he says, I am returned. Look in verses 16 and 17. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. And a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. I am returned. He returned to Jerusalem with mercies so that my house shall be built. You know, the return of the Lord is signified by the rebuilding of the temple. With the rebuilding of the temple, there was a returning of his presence. The Shekinah glory as it was manifested in the wilderness and the Shekinah glory as it manifested in Solomon's temple is now returning, will now return to the temple. It will be restored. And here in verse 16 he says, I'm going to stretch out 
the line. Notice the end of the verse. He says, A line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. To stretch a line is to pull a tape measure over everything. The imagery here is of a surveyor measuring out the, 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 the ground for the plans for the rebuilding of the city and the temple. It suggests growth and prosperity. You know, when you drive around and you see a block of land out there that uh, is farmland and you see a surveyor on it, it uses an indication that they're surveying it ready to divvy it up into uh, blocks of land for building houses because it speaks of growth and prosperity. Well, that's the imagery here. God has said there's going to be a surveyor go and he's going to check out the city. He's going to measure out the temple and measure out the city because there is going to be prosperity. The glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory is going to return to the temple and the city is going to thrive because God is coming back. And when his glory returns, it will be glorious. This especially will happen in the millennial kingdom. Go to Ezekiel, please, 38. Ezekiel 38. And verse 11. And I shall say, I'll go up to the land of unwalled villages. I'll go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. There's a day coming when the Lord is going to restore Israel to peace and prosperity. That will particularly take place in the millennial kingdom. And he's going to stretch forth, it says in verse uh, 16. It says, uh, a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. It signifies immediate action. You know, where one stretched forth meant immediate judgment, as it does in 2 Kings chapter 21, a line is stretched out again, and it means a time of immediate blessing. The cities of the land of Israel are God's particular possession and God's peculiar possession. They belong to him, and he is going to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple to his glory. Verse 17 says, And thus saith the Lord, I host my cities, through prosperity shall yet spread abroad. And the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, shall yet choose Jerusalem, shall yet spread abroad is to overflow. Just as a fountain gushes forth and overflows the, the boundaries of that which is, it's uh, uh, contained in, so shall God's people once again spread over all the land that has been desolate. And verse 17 here signifies uh, the prosperity